Good evening, guys. Um, can we take another moment to pray? Father, thank you again for the day that you've given us. Thank you so much for your word. Like we just sang, your word is a firm foundation that you've given us. We don't have anything else to go to in this life. We don't have another way to know you without your word. So we thank you for it. We're grateful that we get to look at it now. And I just ask again, help us to understand what we see here. Help us, most of all, to apply it to our lives and obey it, to learn from your word and then live it out as we go through the rest of our lives. The things we're going to look at tonight, you're teaching us things for the rest of our lives through it. So please help us, God. Help us to understand what we read and help us to obey it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can turn to Psalm 13 in your Bibles, if you would. Psalm chapter 13. It's really strange being up here without a guitar. Uh, usually I have to be back here. Psalm chapter 13 is where we're going to be. As long as we live on this earth, things are never going to get easier for us. If you're a, a kid here tonight, I'm sorry to tell you that, but it's the truth. And if you're older than me, I'm sorry because you know it better than I do. <laughs> things, things aren't going to get easier for us in this life. We are going to face hard situations. Jobs are going to be difficult. People are going to be cruel to us. Our cars are going to fall apart. They're going to break down. The check engine light just came on in ours the other day. It's going to fall apart eventually. Our houses, our homes, wherever they may be, they're going to disintegrate over time. Things are going to fall apart. We're going to have to repair things. And it's never going to last. Um, our bodies even, they're not going to last forever. You know, we might feel like it if we're younger in here. We may feel like you guys playing football this afternoon. Like you're never going to, you're never going to die maybe is what you think. But it's coming for all of us. Things are not going to get easier as far as our lives are concerned, as far as living on this earth. It's not going to get easier. The circumstances are not going to get easier. They're only going to become more complex, more complicated, more difficult. I heard a guy on the radio I'm not endorsing the guy. I don't really know much about him. His name's Kurt Thompson. He just said this two little sentences that were so fitting for what we're going to be looking at tonight. He said, life is very simple and very hard. What we're going to be looking at tonight, we're going to see that that's the truth. Life is very simple and it's very hard. The Psalms, we've got 150 of them in our Bible. God decided this is good for my people to see, uh, for the nation of Israel to have as maybe for corporate worship as they gather together. Maybe maybe not, but there are, they're there for us to learn from. They're not just uh, a random insertion in our Bibles. They're something that we can learn from, that we can take so much from. They are, the Psalms are windows into the believer's soul. They are... Each psalm offers us a view into an Old Testament believer's life and the struggles and joys that they went through. God gave us the psalms, I believe, so that we would know what it means to go through all aspects of our lives and keep our eyes on him through it. 
I think that's why he gave it to us, so we could know what it means to go through life and keep our eyes on him. That's what the Psalms are about. We find all kinds of circumstances in them, from extreme joy to extreme pain, (laughs) is what we're going to see tonight. And so these people who wrote these Psalms were real people. They weren't (laughs) people who are living in uh, some unreal circumstances. They were real people. And some of them went through incredibly difficult circumstances. Uh, they write about their trials and their pains, the, their exaltations and their happiness in this life. But whatever they write about, in the end, it's always looking to God. Whatever they have to say at the beginning, what that may sound crazy to us, in the end, they're going to focus it into God somewhere in the psalm. So we have a an amazing opportunity to be able to look at these psalms and learn how God wants us to live in different situations tonight, specifically how we need to live in hard situations. So let's read Psalm 13. For the choir director, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? having sorrow in my heart all the day. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes or I'll sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. In this compact psalm here, we're given a theology of suffering. In six verses, we're given a course on how to face hard situations. Some of us in here have lived through really hard situations. That wouldn't be me. Um, I haven't had to go through things that some people in this room have had to go through. Uh, so some of us can look at this and we'll read it and it's and it's, we say, yeah, I, I know what that's like. And others of us, if you haven't gone through those kind of hard situations, consider this a preparation psalm. That this is going to be preparation for you one day. This is we're not going to escape hard situations, so read this and think of this as a way of preparing for them through God's help. A commentator said about this particular psalm, the prayer, this prayer that we have in this psalm, the six verses, is more important than the circumstances surrounding this prayer. Why does he say that? Because if we look at the psalm, David doesn't say, this is what's happening in my life right now. These are the exact circumstances. It's kind of General, he is in deep pain, but he's he doesn't say, Saul's hunting me, my son Absalom is hunting me, uh, or other things that happen, all the other crazy things that happen in David's life. He doesn't give us the circumstances, so we're not going to focus on the circumstances because we don't know them. We could just speculate for the rest of the evening. Um, so the prayer we have here is what's important. This is what we need to think about tonight. Notice that he says, for the choir director at the beginning, the little superscription up there, a psalm of David. Um, David intended this psm. Okay, so we have to, that David is the writer of the psalm too. 
King David, uh, you know who David is. I don't think anybody needs a refresher course on him. He intended this song, this psalm to be sung as part of Israel's worship. So this wasn't, oh, look at what happened to me. I'm sorry, you can't understand this. You're not going to be going through anything like this. So just, you can read it and say, well, that's a nice poem, but I'm, it's irrelevant to me. He considered, and obviously God considered this to be something that was worthy of Israel as a nation to, to know. And also, obviously, for us as the church in the New Testament, it's to know. So don't think that this psalm has no application to you. It does, however old you are, whatever your circumstances are right now. And I just want to say this before we get into it. David gives us an example to follow here. And you may question that somewhat. I don't know how, when you read that through there, if you feel kind of awkward about some of it, but David gives us an example to follow here. Tonight, we're going to see three steps we need to take when we face hard situations. We're going to see three steps we need to take when we face hard situations. The first step that we need to take when we're facing hard situations is that we need to express our pain to God. Express your pain to God. This is either something that you are very good at or you are very bad at, most likely. Some people tend to express every bit of pain and emotion to God, and others tend to express none of it. And you know where you are, most likely, where you fall into that. Uh, maybe you're in the middle, but most likely you're at one ex- close to one extreme. So this is either t- to say express your pain to God. This is either something you say, oh, yeah, no problem, or, wow, that's... That's a lot. Um, so we see, though, here, David expresses his pain to God through four soul-piercing questions. Four questions that just pierce your soul as you read it. And if you've been in any kind of hard, difficult situation, maybe you haven't been in an extremely hard situation, but in any kind of hard situation, you can relate to a certain extent to what David writes here. Look at for verses 1 and 2 he, again. He says, How long, O Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Four different times he says, How long, O Lord? And you could, if you have the NASB, it says, How long, O Lord? Question mark. You could consider that first question mark. You're reading and you're saying, Wait, there's five questions here. Just Pretend that's a comma, okay, because with the Hebrew, you, it could be a comma there if you wanted it to be. Uh, it's, it's almost, it's like that. So and we got four questions here, really. Questions one, the first two questions are similar. David is in pain because God seems to be distant from him. He's in pain because God seems to be distant. He's saying, the first question, how long will you forget me forever? He's saying, I'm good to God, have you forgotten me? Or to make it into a statement, I feel like you've forgotten me. God, and that you may not ever respond to me again. I, this is why I say you may, you may have felt a little awkward reading this the first couple lines. Maybe you didn't, but we may be tempted to shrink back from these questions when we first read them, these four questions here, because initially they come across as sounding offensive to God, sounding like something we shouldn't be asking. You know, we don't... 
you've heard people say, don't question God. What I want to say is that there is a, a right way to ask God questions. I don't say that... Uh, question God in the sense that we normally think of it as somebody saying, well, there is no God. How can you say there's a God? Or how can there be a good God if all these evil things happen? I don't mean those kinds of questions. I'm saying there's a right way to ask God questions. And this may sound like this is not the right way when you first read this. Um, And we can express our pain to God in wrong ways, in questions that are wrong. We can ask him the wrong questions, like, for instance, in the Old Testament, Job. Ask God questions God says to Job at the end of the book of Job, uh, now I'm going to ask you and you can answer me. And so he's saying, Job, there's at least in your attitude and the way you ask those questions, if not the questions themselves, they were wrong. You were not trusting me, not believing in me. And also Jonah. Jonah says to God after the Ninevites repent, he says, he gets very angry and he says, wasn't this exactly what I said? What's going to happen? I mean, that's the wrong kind of question to ask God. Uh, wrong attitude, wrong question. But notice that this psalm is a part of the Bible. I believe that because it's in here and because there's no rebuke to David in this, that this is a good indication that these are not, this expression of pain in these questions are not sinful. He was not attacking God in the questions he asked. He was experiencing deep pain over the situation he was facing. And I just want you to think about something. Ryan, this is interesting. This psalm is interesting to me because it's like a mini Habakkuk almost. Um, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2, you don't have to turn there. Habakkuk asks a question of God, and it starts out with this. How long, oh Lord, how long am I going to see violence? How long are things going to go the way they are, to paraphrase? And God doesn't say, how dare you ask me the question? He says, he gives him an answer, but he doesn't, rebuke that question outright is how dare you ask me this he gives them an answer to it um we don't know what god has planned right okay i don't see anybody who knows so that's good we don't know what he's planned and god knows this so he's not offended by honest questions from a heart that's filled with grief or pain he's not offended by honest questions from believers that from someone who trusts in him, but doesn't understand what's happening to him or her. David doesn't question any of God's attributes in this, in these questions. His questions arise from his perception of his circumstances. He's looking at the circumstances and saying, I don't get it. I don't understand it. God, it seems like you've forgotten me, like you've let me go. He's asking whether God's forgotten him forever not saying that God has actually forgotten David. We know that God knows all things, that God doesn't forget about people on the planet. He knows about every person on the planet right now, and he has for the entire time that people have been in existence. Um, But to David, it seems like God may never intervene in the situation. Whatever the situation David was facing happened to be, it seems like God's not going to help. Uh, One commentator said this. He said, God's remembering and God's seeing are those two words used in the Old Testament specifically are not states of consciousness, but preludes to action. What he's saying is, whenever we see this word like, will you forget me forever? Or he's saying, he says the word remembering, but 
like, you know, God's forgotten as though he doesn't remember. He's not saying, talking about, God, David's not necessarily questioning, God, I know you've forgotten me. And look, hey, I'm over here still. Like, you don't know that I'm here. He's saying, whenever it seems like God's forgotten somebody, it's like God's not acting on that person's behalf anymore. Let me read you this verse real quick. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, and I think this will clear up what this guy means by saying that. The Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. They're groaning in their slavery. Exodus 2.24 says, and this, uh, well, let me read 23. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of their bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. That's what he's saying there. He's saying it wasn't like, oh, the Israelites. I made that promise to Abraham back then, and I, I've been so busy with everything else. <laughs> i got to come back to the rescue. I made a covenant with him. No, he's, it's saying, you get what the commentator says. It's a prelude to action. God's about to act when it says he remembers. So David's saying, it seems like you've forgotten me, like you don't remember me anymore, like you're not going to act on my behalf right now. Or like Psalm 139, verse 7, David says, Where can I flee from your face? When We'll get into that in just a second, but that's another reference you can write down if you or happen to be writing anything down. And then I just I got to read this too because it, it helps explain this remembering, forgetting of God. Isaiah, you don't have to turn to this one either. You can if you'd like, but Isaiah 49, verse 14 through 16 says... But Zion said, Israel, the nation, is saying to God, the Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. And here's what God says in response to that, to God forgetting his people. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. That's God does not forget people. And so David is not necessarily saying, God, you've forgotten me like that. He's saying, it seems like you have. And so we just want to make that clear that he's not coming about saying that God's forgotten me. God doesn't know what's happening to me. His second question, he says, how long will you hide your face from me? Or why are you hiding from me, God? I feel like you are hiding from me is to state it, make a statement. This is not to say that David could literally see God's face at some point. Uh, or, up to, or, let me say it this way, David, this wasn't to say David was normally seeing God's face, and then up to, a, at a certain point, all of a sudden, where's God? I can't see his face anymore. Literally looking at his face. David is, again, describing how he feels in the circumstances. To him, it seems like God has stopped looking at David. Like God has stopped showing his favor to David. So uh, sometimes when we face a hard situation, we only express our pain to God, right? Have you ever been in a hard situation where you are a difficult situation and you only express your pain to God? We fail to move on from that point. But as believers, we must move on through the rest of this psalm 
or the outcome for us will not be good. So he, David gives another question here. He says, the third question, how long, verse 2, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? David is in pain because he has no answers to his problems. He's saying, when will you give me guidance again, God? Have you ever felt this way before? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt, like he says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul? How long shall I take counsel in my soul? What's missing there? Interaction between him and God. He's saying, how long is this going to go on for me? Where I'm talking to myself, basically, and not turning to God. And I'm looking for answers on my own. Think about this. It would be sad and interesting at the same time to see the number of our prayers when we're in hard situations compared to the number of times we mentally try to figure our way out of a situation. The number of times that we norm, that we turn to God and pray and ask him for help compared to the times that we just, let me see how I can do this. I'm going to take counsel on my soul. I'm going to figure this out. David realizes at this point that it, this is futile doing this, trying to figure ways out of his circumstances on his own. So he expresses his pain to God that he needs God's direction. He longs for God's direction. How long, Lord? How long am I going to have this sorrow in my heart all the day? And if you've been in hard situations, again, you felt this. And if you haven't, it, it's coming, unfortunately. But David's asking these questions. He's expressing his pain to God through them. And then finally, he this fourth question he says, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? David is in pain because his enemy has the advantage over him. He's saying, when will you rescue me from my enemies? Um, David, unlike, I think unlike all of us, had human enemies. People who, we could really use the word enemies when we talk about the people who were after David. Throughout his life at various times, he had people who were literally trying to kill him, to take his life. I don't think anybody in this room has those, that situation right now, where anybody's literally trying to take your life. Um, but I think it's safe to say that we all have enemies in this room, too. And they may be human enemies. Ephesians chapter 6 makes it clear that we have we do have spiritual enemies, that there are spiritual enemies trying to take us down. We all have sins that we would consider enemies. Let me make it clear. David's not talking, when he's writing the psalm, he wasn't thinking of sins. He wasn't thinking of spiritual enemies. He, wasn't, he didn't just read Ephesians 6 and then write this down. He's talking about human enemies here. But I'm saying by way of application to us as we read this, I think it's safe to say that we can express our pain to God over enemies of any kind. We need to take this step of expressing our pain to God when we face hard situations. This is something, the first thing that we need to do. This is the only, be, only the beginning of a process. It's not an end in itself. It's not enough by itself to just express your pain to God. But 
it's something that we need to do. If we only express our pain to God, which is, if we're not walking by the Spirit, that is what we're tempted to do. Complain, God, why? How long? Why <laughs> am I in this situation? But if, if we never move on, never take the next steps that we're going to see in this psalm, we're going to rot spiritually. If all we ever do is dwell on our pain of the circumstances, the hard situation we're in, and we're exp- even if we express that pain to God, well, that's not any different from an unbeliever in many ways. There's unbelievers who pray to God and ask God for, might say, why, am, why is this happening to me? Help me out. But they're not, they're not looking to God really. They're just expressing their pain to him. So this is not enough, but this is where we need to start when we are facing hard situations. We need to be honest with God, as David was here, and not try to pretend that we are too spiritual to need his help. We need to be honest with him and come to him with honest questions. We need to be careful not to blaspheme God or to question his goodness when we ask him questions, but it is okay to take questions to God. We can express our pain to him, and then we need to ask him for help. And that's the second step that we need to take when we're facing hard situations. We need to ask God for help. Look at verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. This is a crucial step right here. Just expressing our pain to God is not enough. We need to turn and then ask him for help. David asked God for help through three desperate pleas. First, he says, consider me. He's saying, God, consider my situation. Think about my situation that I'm in. Look at where I'm at. Up to this point, David feels like God has forgotten him, right? Now he asks God to remember him. Isn't this honest of him to, to write this thing down, to write these words down, and to let other people know that this happened, that he felt like he had forgotten. Now he's asking God for help. Um, he doesn't hide anything in what he's written here, which is really good for us because we get to see how somebody walked with God a long time ago, how God is, wants us to walk too. He comes to God feeling abandoned by, by God, tells God that he feels that way, and then he asks him for help. The outrageous thing about this is David doesn't deserve any help. David says, consider me, God. But he doesn't deserve for God to consider him, just like we do not deserve God to consider us, to listen to a single one of our prayers. However, David knows his God. So he comes to the only one who can help him. He knows God is faithful. He knows that God will keep his word. So David asked God to think about his situation, where he's at. And then he says, answer me. If the first question wasn't desperate and, and outrageous enough, this second question is. He, he asked God, consider me, and more than that, answer my prayer. Answer what I'm asking you to do. And then the third question, he says, enlighten my eyes. Turn the lights back on, you could say, what he's asking here. There's a little bit of a debate about what David means when he says, enlighten my eyes, 
or I will sleep the sleep of death. Some say, some want to go very far and say this is the exact circumstances David was in. They give the circumstances and say, well, he was he needed physical help. He was physically dying. That very well may be. He, it may be that David needed physical healing. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. He said, I'm going to die if you don't help me, God. So he, it could be that he needed physical healing. Or it could be that this is more of a metaphorical plea. He's, David could be saying, I have no hope of surviving this situation without your intervention, God. So whichever way it goes there, he's asking God, help me to be able to see rightly. Maybe he's asking for literal physical. I want to be able to continue to see with my physical eyes. Maybe he's asking spiritually, I want to see the right way so that I don't die in this situation. Are we willing to come to God like this with these kinds of questions, with these kinds of requests for help, with these kinds of pleas for help, desperately coming to God? David doesn't have any other person to turn to in this situation, whatever it was. He turns to God. Do we even ask God for help? Think about your own life. If you're in a hard situation, maybe you're in one right now, do you even ask God for help? And I don't ask that. I don't say that in judgment. How dare you not ask God for help? But just think about your own life. It's easy to not ask him for help a lot of times when we're in a hard situation. It's, on, one, on the one hand, it's very easy to ask him for help because we feel so vulnerable and so helpless. But on the other hand, we say, I want to continue my pity party and so I'm not going to ask you for help. Or do we just assume that God knows and then hope that he will help? And maybe, you know, I, I don't really need to bring this to him. He's busy. I mean, I, you know, of course we say that's crazy. But I think practically sometimes we think that way. You know, he doesn't need to be bothered by this, maybe. God desires our prayers, though, right? Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing next couple weeks or however long it's going to be hearing about prayer and hearing what the word says about prayer but we do know that God desires our prayers he has commanded us to pray without ceasing to pray continually so we need to ask him for help when we're in hard situations that's what it boils down to and then in verse 4 David explains what would happen to him if God does not help him simply put he says I will die and then my enemy will have defeated me. Then my enemy will rejoice over my fall. He has no hope if God does not help him. And the same is true for us wherever we are in life. We have no hope if God does not help us in the situations we're in, whether they're good or whether they're bad. How many hard situations do you think you can handle on your own? How often do you try to handle them on your own? How often do you practically, you know, practically speaking, try to handle hard situations on your own by a lack of prayer? We must ask God for help when we are facing hard situations. So maybe you're in a hard situation right now. If you're not, imagine that you're in a difficult situation, that you don't have any light at the end of the tunnel right now. Wherever you are, 
You don't see a way out. You don't see an end to it. And let's say you've taken these first two steps. You express your pain to God, and then you ask God for help. Now what? Now what do we do after those two steps? Personally, I might be tempted to think God or expect God to fix everything quickly because now I've, I've expressed my pain to him. I've asked him for help. Well, he said to ask him for help. So I've done it. And he says he's going to answer our prayers. So where's the answer? You know, why isn't everything perfect now? I'd be tempted to think he's going to fix everything quickly and that when he doesn't, I might begin to doubt his goodness. I might begin to doubt that he was going to do anything for me. But David has done these first two steps. And then what he does next is almost unthinkable. The third step here that we find is that when we are facing hard situations, we need to worship God. We need to worship God. It's, seriously, right? Worship? Of all the things that you would think at this point, whatever David was facing, it wasn't good. He worships God at the end of this. Maybe we would think that we could have a quiet sadness as we wait for God to answer the prayer or a longing for him to answer, but not worship. What if, what if you were the one writing this psalm, not inspired by God, but just imagine you say, okay, I need to write out, I want to write out a, a song that helps people think about how they can go through hard situations. What would you say at this point? What would your... What would you say? And then think about this. What would the way that you've acted in the past when you've been in tough situations, what would that show? How would that look if you took the things, that, the way you've acted in past situations, in hard situations, and then you had to write that out? What would that be like? Would it be worshiping God? Again, I'm not standing over you in, condemn, in condemnation. I am kind of standing over you, but not in <laughs> condemnation. Because I'm not saying that I've walked through this psalm perfectly anytime something goes wrong in my life. I'm saying that this is what we need to do, is worship God. David worships God in three surprising, maybe we could say shocking ways here. The first thing he says is in verse 5, But I have trusted in your loving kindness. What a change from the beginning of the psalm, right? How long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? But I have trusted in your loving kindness. What a change in tone, right? It's completely the opposite of how he started it. He trusts God. He's saying, I have trusted you, God, you, God even though everything is still wrong in my life right now. This is only, uh, now David didn't have verses marking this all. He wasn't writing in the numbers here, but this is only four verses later that he's saying, he first he starts saying, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now he's saying, but I have trusted in your loving kindness. He's trusting God even though everything is still wrong in his life. And look, he says, I have trusted in your loving kindness. Maybe we probably have a different word there, possibly have a different word there on, in different translations. 
Some translations say loving kindness. Some say faithfulness. Some say loyal love. Uh, and then keep going if you want to uh, with different concepts like that. But I like loyal love personally, personally, thinking about it that way. It's God is faithful and loving. He's faithful in his love to us. David is saying, I have trusted in you and your loyal love to me. Not in anything else. Not even that, oh, I can't wait for the situation to be over with. It's going to be, I'm trusting in the outcome of the situation that it's going to be great. I trusted in your loving kindness and your loyal love. Wow. That's, that's worshiping God right there to say something like that when you are still in a hard situation. Then he says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He says, joy. He says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He's not been rescued yet as he's writing this. And there is joy where there was intense pain earlier. There's joy in his heart now. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And he, notice he says, his, in his heart, as Dr. Zimmick would say, in his mission control center of who he is, what controls him, my heart, my heart shall rejoice in Yahweh's salvation. That, I mean, I don't even know what to say in a sense. To be in this kind of situation and then to say, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I trust in you and your loyal love and my heart rejoices in your salvation. This is worshiping God at its finest right here. Um, notice, look at verse 4 real quick, the end of verse 4. David says, my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. And now he says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Notice the contrast there. He's asking God, if you don't help me in this situation, my enemies will be rejoicing over me. But instead of worrying about that, he says, I'm, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. Most likely, uh, I'm almost positive, and that David has a physical salvation in mind here. Because again, think of his life. He's talking about human enemies. Most likely, he has a physical salvation that God's going to deliver him from his human physical enemies. But again, I don't think it is a stretch for us as we apply this psalm to our life, as we look at to see how it works in our life, for us to rejoice in the spiritual salvation that we have. And you know what? Uh, it wouldn't be wrong if you had human enemies to pray this way, to ask God for deliverance from them either. It, that would be right. That is the way we can apply that to our lives too. But I'm saying that as we look to apply this to ourselves, I think it's safe to say that we can rejoice in God's in the spiritual salvation that God has done for us. And then to top it off, to end the psalm that started out, How long, O Lord? He says, I will sing to the Lord. <laughs> I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me.
Notice the upward trend here from in verses 5 and 6. I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is not possible apart from God working in him. This is not possible in our own lives apart from God working in us. This is not something that we're going to muster up on our own and be able to do on our own. This is God at work. And he, look, he has good reason to sing to the Lord too, if you think about it. Even though everything is still wrong in his life, he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. At this point, David is, has expressed his pain to God. He has asked God for help. He's worshiping God. And he sees, wow, even though things are terrible right now, God is being really, has been really, really, really good to me. That's what we need to do is to worship God like that. That's the final step. David doesn't, does not only desire an escape route from his problems. Well, yes, he does desire that. He is asking God for an escape route from his problems. He doesn't only desire that. Ultimately, he, long, he longs for God himself here. God is the answer to David's problems, ultimately. God is the only one who can answer David's prayer, and God is the only answer to David's prayer. So, aren't you grateful that God's included this prayer and others like it in his word? So that we can know how to think and how to pray and how to worship God in hard situations. What if we didn't have an example like this? What if we didn't have his word to show us this is the way that you're supposed to act. This is the way you're supposed to live. We need to be grateful that we have this here. And let me just say this too. This is not a magic formula where if you mechanically go through these steps, express your praying to God, ask God for help, worship God, where if you mechanically go through those steps, everything's going to be great at the end of it. It's not a magic formula of some kind. There may, even if you go through these steps and you go through it in the right way, there may still be intense pain in your heart and mind at the end of it. However, if you honestly express your pain to God and ask him for help and trust in him, you're going to know the same kind of joy that David knows here. Not some sort of fake or silly kind of happiness, but a steady, solid joy like David has here. A real joy that's not, there's nothing silly about it. It is, but it's honest and it's real what he says at the end of this psalm. And God alone is this kind of joy found in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hard situations. And something else to think of as we're stopping here. Consider this. We may not make it through every hard situation. That's why I said here are three steps that we need to take when we face hard situations. It's tempting to say to make it through hard situations. We may not make it through every hard situation. And we know that because eventually we're going to die. Or, you know, other things may happen. We may be in a hard situation from now to the end of our life. We may not make it through them, but these are the steps that we need to take when we are facing a hard situation to keep our eyes on God, to live the life that he wants us to live.
one quote from Calvin, and then I'm going to read a, a quick passage from the New Testament, and we'll be done. Calvin says that David teaches us, by his example, to stretch our view as far as possible into the future, that our present grief may not entirely deprive us of hope. He says we need to look out as far as possible into the future so that the grief that we're in right now doesn't deprive us entirely of hope. And you know what? I, the, I, I am convinced that that's the key to living the Christian life is to keeping our eyes on Jesus, keeping our eyes on the end of this life. Not like I can't wait till I die, but and I, I, I just get me out of all these situations. Not that I don't. Not that I enjoy being in difficult situations, but looking to him with the hope that one day we're going to be with him. We're going to be in heaven with him, rejoicing, worshiping him. And if you turn over to 1 Peter real, real quick here. 1 Peter chapter 1. I think that this is kind of matches well with Psalm 13. Just something from the New Testament that will help us as well, from as Psalm 13 has. Um, let me just read verses 3 through 9. I know it's kind of long, but I think it's worth it. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. It's kind of neat how that kind of coincides with Psalm 13 in a sense. It's not an exact match, but to see that God saved us, we are going through, to go through difficult times in this life, through hard situations. But we're going to see our Lord at one day too. And that he has a purpose in the hard situations that we're going through. And so that we should be rejoicing in him with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for the example that David set for us in the psalm. Thank you for what we can learn from it. God, none of us want to face a hard situation. We desperately need your help when they come, though. So please help us. Help us to follow the pattern that David's given us in the psalm. Help us to turn back to this psalm and other psalms and other sections of the Bible and books of the Bible that are similar and see what you have to say about going through difficult times and hard situations. Help us to follow you. Help us to look to you, God. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.